Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, second-year child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, everyone. And third-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, everybody. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, on this episode, we're going to talk about Rikers Island and the reforms that have been tried there. And to do this, we are very pleased and honored to have rejoin us on Let's Get Psyched, Dr. Bandy X. Lee. Dr. Lee, thank you for joining us on Let's Get Psyched. Thank you again for having me. Dr. Bandy X. Lee is a New York City-based best-selling author and forensic psychiatrist. She has a long list of achievements, including chief resident at Harvard's Massachusetts General Hospital, taught at Yale's School of Medicine and Law, and served as a fellow for the National Institute of Mental Health. She's a specialist for public health approaches to violence prevention, who consulted with the World Health Organization and initiated reforms at New York's Rikers Island Correctional Facility. She has contributed to prison reform in the United States and around the world, and is currently president of the World Mental Health Coalition and co-founder of the Violence Prevention Institute at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Maybe we could start out with a little bit of kind of history of Rikers Island, kind of set the, the context of talking about these reforms. Who would like to knock that out? <laughs> okay. So Alan. Um, Abraham Riken, a Dutchman who settled in Long Island in the 1600s, got this island. I don't know what, what it was going on with the island before that. Now, similar name, but different family. Riken willed, um, or I guess, did, sorry. Sim, same family, different name. Riken willed the island to his descendants, one of whom was Riker. Um, and they had it until the late 1800s when they sold it to New York. Um, the, the island, now different people have said different things about the island, but we're going to stick to what there's pretty much a, a consensus about. So it was used for a lot of different purposes before it became the jail it is today. But the main three were as military training during the civil war, um, as a landfill, which kind of, I think is important to acknowledge given that people are living on that today. I don't know how it, how it was or wasn't remediated. And then um, thirdly, there's some, there's some talk that it was also that there were previously sort of um, buildings on the island that were carceral buildings and that some of the prisoners from those carceral buildings actually were put to work in making the, the establishment that has been considered uh, like the institution that has continued to exist until now, that the current Rikers Island jail I also read in the New York City municipal records that there were uh, asylums as well on the island. We could do a whole episode on the kind of 
sordid and difficult history of this place, almost to the point where it feels like there's some kind of like a a curse on on the place. Um, I think at one point it was referred to as like a place of the damned um, during the heroin epidemic um, in the 70s. And and, there have been all kinds of different efforts to either reform it or shut it down. Um, and I think we're going to get some insight into what some of those have looked like. Is there anything but, you want to add? To- yeah, I want to add that basically there were problems with the uh, institution from the beginning uh, in the 1930s. There were complaints brought up of how poorly constructed the institution was, um, how decrepit the buildings were. Um, the overcrowding was an issue right from the get-go, basically, and just kept getting worse. Um, complaints about the draconian rules and inhumane practices, inhumane situation there. Violence amongst inmates, violence f- from correctional officers unto inmates, uh, unsanitary conditions, um, budget cuts for the employees working at the um, at Rikers Island. And there were riots amongst inmates as well as protests amongst the correction officers as well because of these issues that just kept happening over and over again. Now, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. It was what you, jump in, Aaron. Well, I just wanted to set the stage of like uh, the kind of the current state of things and why things are uh, not untenable. Well, I mean, it, yeah, go ahead. Go I can, it. I can maybe build a few blocks to that and then you can finish it off. So, um, th- there have continued to be these, these problems that were, that are interesting and come from a bunch of different directions, uh, <clears throat> that kind of create this overall image that this place is just in addition to being kind of, uh, due to negligence and maybe even some intention, really a difficult place. Also, it's just had some really bad luck, including like an airplane crashing into the island in uh, the late 50s. And, and um, the there were serious attempts to shut it down um, that were sort of uh, that were major political back and forth with a lot of nuance to them. Um, and that kind of brings me back to you, Aaron. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, why? First of all, kind of, uh, why are we talking about things like that? Because there's a big overlap. This show is good about uh, addressing some of the overlaps that affect things like mental health um, and society and how we treat folks, because they're all overlapping. And you know, Rikers Island is one of these uh, institutions where a lot of folks get abused. A lot of folks that have mental health conditions that don't get proper treatment um, are, are are placed. It's a, you know, famously, there's a uh, case of uh, Khalif Browder, who was a 16-year-old who was accused of stealing a backpack in 2010, and he was going to be tried as an adult. So he's kept in solitary confinement um, until, he, and he was, he was eventually released uh, about, uh, in, yeah, about two, three years later, he was eventually released but he he had PTSD and he eventually committed suicide. And so this is the kind of, and he was, what came out later, there was a lot of poor treatment and there was a lot of uh, um, 
you know, horrible treatment for a minor. But these folks, it's it's. We want to say that it, this this institution is frequently used as a place that you stay before you're tried. So legally, the folks that are being placed here are not convicted. It's kind of like a almost like a county jail type of thing, is my understanding. And there's like four to five thousand. Ninety six percent are African American and Latino. And so there's a class issue here, too. And as they studied it, there's a big issue of recidivism caused by homelessness, uh, an improper mental health care and health care. And so I just kind of want to get set the stage. This is the kind of thing that we like to talk about to kind of blend these all these uh, uh, different kinds of things that are going on in society and talk about this problem. Now, Dr. Lee, how did you become introduced? How did you become involved with Rikers Island? Well, um, uh, first of all, that's that's a very uh, poignant, um, well-outlined history that um, illustrates some of the problems of uh, corrections in general. That, um, first of all, uh, corrections are not used in ways that really help individuals or help communities, but rather are are destructive and and unjustly applied to uh, disadvantaged populations, um, um, and that's why I have often called it the criminal injustice system. Uh, and now we have the additional problem of um, it being the de facto mental health institution or or mental unhealth, where with the deinstitutionalization movement um, of asylums, we now have uh, most um, mentally ill individuals who need to be in institutions in jails and prisons rather than in hospitals. Um, and the, the, the environment is not set up for care of these individuals. My own career followed the trajectory of being interested in psychiatry and starting out in state hospitals and clinics and then finding myself more and more in correctional institutions. And that's how I got to Rikers Island in part because I was um, accumulating experience around the country of different prison settings and uh, mental health care delivery uh, did a fair amount of work in California itself, um, but uh, Rikers Island was always uh, quite notorious, as you have outlined. It has uh, quite a sordid history. When I arrived there in 2007, it was really uh, a fortress of um, uh, of. Uh, lack of transparency and um, a culture of violence within its walls, which the public did not know much about. Uh, since the report that I was asked to do in 2013, um, much more had become public. But uh, in 2007, when I arrived there, I was uh, really shocked uh, in that it really exceeded any of the uh, maximum security notorious prisons that I had uh, visited and worked in around the country. 
mm-hmm. and um, I've gone to most most of the notorious ones. And um, so it was, it really was uh, lawless, uh, like a jungle inside, and guards could practically do anything with the inmates and not be held accountable. So with this kind of uh, lack of transparency and um, almost infinite authority over individuals with impunity, and there were many uh, suspicious deaths that had happened um, around then as well, which never got reported properly or even and and hardly ever prosecuted it was an extremely rare case if anything got prosecuted because um, the New York City police would off would uh, collude with the correctional officers in at Rikers Island considering themselves to be of the same uh, I guess same class that needed to protect one another. I think so, it's. Uh, I, I think it's interesting. I, the the word class is also the same word that I was thinking of there. Um, I'd like to kind of step in in this opportunity and ask you about the culture there in the prisons that I've worked at, um, both in the U.S. and abroad. There's this culture of animosity between on one case in, in one the, the inmates and the correctional officers and then the medical staff and the administrative staff kind of all have their interests and I, I think it's very easy and popular to direct a lot of anger towards the guards and I wonder how you how you feel about when that happens and and whether that anger some of that anger should be directed towards administration or even higher levels of um chip i i heard about this more recent situation with the guards at at rikers where there are guards that are calling off for for like several days in a row or calling off very inappropriately and so because of that other guards have to take extended shifts that kind of sound like what residents have to do where it's like just these work hour violating um long shifts and they have to staff areas they have to guard areas that are larger than what they're supposed to having have to guard so they've set up systems where they're like kind of um it, it somehow co- coercing the inmates to police other inmates and all of that sounds to me like more of a problem of incentives and abuse of in terms of how the system is laid out and how the people at the top have decided to understaff it for maybe what I extrapolate to be financial reasons, um, rather than some kind of problem with guards being the root of it. What, what are your thoughts? Yes. All of the above. <laughs> um, uh, yes, there is a pervasive problem, and in a, in a sense, the the guards themselves are set up to be uh, punitive and um, uh, and violent themselves from the environment that they are put in. Uh, but we should actually go up. 
the chain and even hold society itself accountable. Uh, you mentioned culture and culture is very much uh, determinant in how we run prisons, especially if you've experienced pres prisons abroad. Uh, you may know that we have anywhere from, um, well, it's usually about 10, 12, 13 times the rate of incarceration of most civilized countries. And Fyodor Dostoevsky himself said, you can tell the level of a civilization by entering its prisons. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. The way we treat prisoners uh, is... Uh, just incomparably um, demeaning, uh, uh, abusive, and um, dehumanizing in ways that are almost without parallel in the economically developed world. Uh, and it comes, I believe, from our general culture of violence. We have a violence rate a um, uh, homicide rate that is five to 10 times the rate of most high-income countries of similar development. And, um, and that's reflected in the way that we severely treat prisoners. Um, you also mentioned that 96% of prisoners are uh, minority groups and uh, racism yeah. and uh, discrimination plays a large role in this and how we de dehumanize subgroups of people. Also, income disparity is great in this country. And so um, uh, the way we treat the poor is also very different. And, and um, uh, I believe it was uh, an African-American prisoner um, earlier in the 20th century who said that the law is a weapon for the rich and a weapon for the poor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's exactly how it's, um, how the prison system has worked in this country to, to punish poverty. And right. there is a greater chance of your being sentenced uh, to jail or prison uh, if you are black uh, in this country than if you have committed a crime. So if wow. your ethnicity is more predictive of incarceration than whether or not you committed a crime, then that's already very telling that it's really poverty and uh, oppression that determine punishment, not that's, so much. Yeah. That's such a powerful uh statement and and fact to to reckon with i think it, it's it's interesting it kind of comes in the the class thing rings so true to me and and it feels like you know i i i, I would i don't want to excuse any violence by correctional officers and i know that that's rampant um but it does seem like such a class issue and and many of the guards that i've known have themselves been people of color who are, who are struggling and and or otherwise minoritized folks who are struggling and it, it, it i can't help but think about the the stanford prison experiment and how this seems like it's a role that is one is almost destined to fill when they occupy 
uh, a job with those with what that's asking you to do those things. Yes, that's, uh, that's very much the case and that it's almost a setup for this kind of violence and violence against each other, even among, even between the inmates and the correctional officers. Uh, actually, if you look at the guards, they come from very much the same backgrounds as the prisoners themselves, uh, and and they're almost uh, indistinguishable in terms of race, uh, income level, uh, background, and um, educational level. So, uh, but if you put one group of such individuals uh, and give them such great power over another group and uh, allow them to wield power with impunity, with no uh, outside supervision, or even on the inside, no one caring, then this kind of uh, subculture of violence is, is bound to run rampant. Mm-hmm. If uh, you're just joining us, you're listening to KUCR, and this is Let's Get Psyched. And we're talking with Dr. Bandy X. Lee about Rikers Island and reform approaches. Um, Tosha, you have a question. Yeah. So, Dr. Lee, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, work that you did there in terms of the reform? Did you write a report? And, you know, yeah, what, ha- what happened with that? Yes, so in 2013, after I had uh, left working at Rikers Island, and it was um, quite a harrowing experience, um, I think I uh, uh, I was in one of the buildings that keep coming up, uh, that keeps coming up whenever there's a violent incident, and um, it was the adult male, uh, I mean, not general population, but male, uh, and... Um, I was right next to the infirmary and uh, would constantly see inmates who were beaten up, uh, often by the guards, and uh, seemed to be at the brink of death, and and that was on a daily basis. Um, well, that was becoming increasingly more scandalous over time, and so in 2013, I believe it's really... Um, the movement of uh, the people, civil society members who are raising issues about violence in in the jail, and uh, that the Board of Corrections generally pretty much uh, used to rubber stamp whatever the Department of Corrections uh, decided uh, to do, and, and it was supposed to provide oversight, but uh, it wasn't up to that point, but curiously, in 2013, I was invited by the Board of Corrections to do um, to do uh, an assessment of Rikers Island, of the state of violence, what could be done to um, reduce violence, as well as improve mental health care, and uh, what to do about solitary confinement, because at that time, even juveniles were juveniles were disproportionately put in solitary confinement. And if we think about the mm-hmm. fact that the brain is developing into into one's mid-20s uh, or sometimes even up to 
uh, almost up to 30, uh, that these developing brains are placed in um, sensory deprivation or abnormal sensory stimulation environments, which are uh, solitary confinement and, and away from the social interactions that are required for health and growth of the brain. Um, uh, that this was going on. So, um, so my re report had um, the effect of three um, three goals, which was to uh, reduce violence um, and to increase uh, mental health care efficacy and uh, quality of care uh, or meeting the, the minimal. Um, standard of care that's required, and uh, and then reducing solitary confinement. Um, in my recommendations, and uh, I did it with uh, my mentor, actually Dr. James Gilligan, who is a renowned violence prevention scholar, and we had together studied the San Francisco jail system, which has uh, which had. Uh, an extraordinary program um, uh, that it was called Resolve to Stop the Violence Project, and it was developed in the mid to late 90s. And they were able to demonstrate how uh, placing violent offenders, those who had uh, committed everyone um, in the dormitory committed had committed uh, a violent crime and um, sometimes even um, a serious crime, a very serious crime. Uh, and yet they were all put together in an open dormitory and were given programming 12 hours a day, six days a week. And they were able to bring down the violence rates, the in-jail violence rates to zero uh, an average of one felony level violence was, uh, per week was the norm. And here they had all violent individuals all in one dormitory and it was brought down to zero. And out in the community, they were able to bring it down by 80, up to 83%. Oh. So that was the first year uh, with very minimal outside programming at the time. And so that was actually considered to be um, quite phenomenal. Uh, in spite of that, our whole country went in the opposite direction of increasing solitary confinement, um, punitive measures rather than uh, restorative and therapeutic measures. And so since then, the whole country went in the opposite direction. Uh, and But now, many, many states since about five, six years ago have been turning to the San Francisco Project. Um, because solitary confinement had, had failed. Um, so this, uh, so that was one of the reasons why we were called to um, evaluate Rikers Island. And at the time, it was really unthinkable at the time that any major uh, reform would be done because it was such a, such an established, uh, such a mm -hmm. uh, almost immovable establishment with strong unions where actually the correctional officers were um, trying to stop any reform at the time. Um, so, uh, but 
uh, we were actually uh, very bold. We frankly said that we should raise the place to the ground and start mm-hmm. anew. And we recommended the um, prison hospital model where uh, violent individuals are often kept, uh, usually those who are deemed not guilty by reason of insanity, but are still very violent and need to be institutionalized. And so um, there are guards uh, that keep the um, keep the building safe, but internally it's mostly um, it's mostly treaters and those who have been trained in mental health. Um, helping the individuals to improve in their violence, um, improve in uh, their behavioral control, and um, and uh, basically help them to develop pro-social skills and uh, refrain from violence. So uh, that is the model we recommended at the time. It was considered unthinkable and. Um, the the Board of Corrections kept, uh, or or the Department of Corrections kept trying to scale down our recommended uh, improvements. Well, around that time, finally, the federal government decided that uh, the place needed to be investigated with all the reports of violence happening. So uh, our report actually helped bring in the federal investigators Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to inter- um, interrupt you. We got a couple minutes here, and I kind of want to um, bring it to more present day of uh, to the extent that they f- reformed or failed to reform or gave up uh, with this. I know that you know De Blasio was talking about, oh, we're going to have state of the art. <laughs> yeah, it's how, it, it, I mean they went to the state of the art uh, prison, which they usually say for all kinds of things, state of the art something. But what what happened? Like how's and and bring us up to date. Uh, current currently well um uh yes i th- i think this last piece if you can include it all um so we were we were actually very heartened when the federal government uh decided to step in and did its own did its own investigation and were delighted when it was proposed that indeed as we recommended the place uh should be shut down altogether and uh, and uh, Rikers Island be split to um, smaller jails. We were we were waiting for we were waiting to be consulted about exactly how to do these reforms because we were uh, our report is widely cited to have started the reforms, and without it, it wouldn't have started in the first place. But once the reforms were uh, approved. Uh, we were no longer consulted and uh, a corporate consulting firm stepped in in our place. And when we heard that it was a multi-million dollar contract, we uh, uh, couldn't help but wonder because um, this group did not have any background in corrections, did not have mental health knowledge um, or training in the way that we had. And, um, and we would only have charged a few thousand at most. Uh, for All right, Dr. Lee, I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to interrupt you. We're going to cl- uh, stop this episode and but we're going to continue on for the extended version, the special extended version for those folks that can access it on uh, a podcast. 
thank you for uh, to our co-hosts, Doctors Toshi Yamaguchi and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsyched on kucrgmail.com, and you can also listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform, as well as enjoy this extended version of the show as well as previous extended versions of the show if you like tonight's show please follow us and post a review this episode was recorded recorded remotely in our homes our producer is elliot fong our production assistant is benjamin metrican i've been your host psychologist dr aaron parks tune in next week for another edition of let's get psyched all right sorry about that please continue yeah continue okay well i'm sorry to have gone on so long um well uh essentially i think that illustrates um, what corruption can do uh, when cities and states are often paying a lot more for less quality um, advice, uh, equipment, I mean, even down to office furniture. Uh, I often see in city and state institutions how um, contracts are made for much inferior uh, uh, equipment and and provisions um, because, uh, well, they're they're state and city contracts, public contracts. And I think that's that's really um, a problem and a shame because uh, there was a great opportunity at this time to uh, to truly reform a jail facility that uh, that had been notorious in the past, and it could have been an example for the rest of the country as to how it could be reformed in positive and productive ways. Uh, I- now Rikers Island is in a much worse state than I had seen it. Can I ask you, Dr. Lee, were there any pressures placed on you regarding what your report would say? Was anyone trying to ask? There was a lot of pushback because um, in the view of the correction officers unions, which were very strong at the time, there was really nothing much wrong with the way things were. And they did not wish to change um, anything. And uh, when we um, made our recommendations, it required... Uh, the corrections department to to put in a lot of investment in terms of mental health facilities, in terms of uh, how um, how the uh, security structure would work, and bringing in a lot more mental health professionals. Um, so they tried to scale that back as much as possible to keep the status quo as much as possible. Wow, that there was that so kind hard. of pushback. Yeah, but not the kind of uh, switch from going from uh, professional consultation to uh, corporate style consultation that was the difference of many millions of dollars uh, for inferior knowledge and background. As uh, as I was saying, they essentially did not have any background in corrections or. Um, in mental health uh, care provision. And, and I think that's really been uh, the story of many institutions where a business model is brought in a way that 
may benefit those who are in control because they do it for the purpose of profit, but not for the purpose of service delivery or without any knowledge of what goes on within. Uh, And and whatever measures they put in place actually takes away from from the ability of uh, healthcare professionals, for example, to provide care. Since I've lived through the industrialization of medicine, I've seen that happen in ways where medicine in the U.S. used to be number one around the world, not the cheapest, but number one in quality. And now, and now we know it's uh, the last among all nations measured, usually 35 or so nations measured in every domain, mm-hmm. quality, Particularly distribution, in, cost. Yeah, in, in like return on investment. There's this book, I think it was by uh, a, someone at, at Yale who maybe you know, I don't know, maybe you've met her or something, um, that, that stratifies healthcare um, and I think this is so relevant to our discussion of, of the carceral system. The book basically found it's called, I think, the American Healthcare Pat Paradox. Um, and mm. it stratifies she the the author stratified all of these countries based on their healthcare return on investment for in, for tax dollars paid. And what she found was that the predictor there was having a high ratio of social services spending to healthcare spending. And I, I mean, I think, you know, how could that not apply so crucially to the prison system? You're, you know, you're talking about these countries that have better recidivism outcomes than we do by, by I think, around 30% um, for many of the Scandinavian countries. Um, and they, you know, they have programming and they have psych services and they have amenities for their residents that you know can function not just for so that there's not just positive consequences but also there can be negative reinforcement which is so much less violent right where like oh well if you do this thing we don't need to beat you because we can just take away the xbox and that's motivation enough because you're they're willing to pay for them to have something to lose mm-hmm. yes Yes, absolutely. There's a stark contrast now between um, the American prison system and those in Scandinavia or uh, many parts of Western Europe. And uh, yes, we are significantly built behind, not just in our criminal justice system, but also law enforcement. And so all the problems with um, police violence and killings and um, brutality that we experience are not there in other countries. And Dr. Lee, you mentioned that Rikers Island seemed to be like in, in your experience of it and your experience of other uh, institutions, that Rikers Island was an outlier in comparison to the rest of the institutions. Why do you think that was? Uh, lack of oversight that Rikers Island had particularly worse lack of oversight. Yes. I see. Yes. I think um, uh, when when I was there, the guards had full control and they could uh, do anything with the inmates and not be accountable to anyone. Uh, they would uh, 
do gladiator fights um, oh. bet on inmates. Um, they would provoke inmates into fighting each other. If they didn't like an inmate, they would expose them to targeting and um, gang violence by uh, gang as in uh, the cell block violence mm. by other inmates. I mean, they would uh, they would control the situation and control it in a way that would uh, incite more violence. And that's what I uh, was talking about when, you know, day after day, there was a, there was an inmate or two who would come into the infirmary right next to my office. And they seemed to be so badly beaten up. They were at the brink of death. And I did not know how many of them died. But... Um, and that's been widely uh, publicized. This wasn't a secret, um, at least more. I don't know if it was during the time you were there, but, you know, there's this this tension. Um, I came into this episode. Uh, I think several of us came into maybe you as well came into this episode with the intention of stating frequently. This is not just Rikers Island. We're not unfairly targeting. We don't want to unfairly target Rikers Island. This is the American carceral system or as you call it the injustice system um and and you know the the djj the department of juvenile justice in california also had the gladiator rings and these things do happen elsewhere but then continually on this on this show i've heard you referring to things where i i don't think we can say this is the u.s i think where where i think it's it's far worse like like when you're talking about these daily or almost daily deaths or near-death events yes this is something i i i have not seen elsewhere uh but uh but then all prisons i've been to have have been brutal and have been worse than uh prison systems abroad uh, i i mean the contrast is almost unbelievable but also is the contrast between um state uh, psychiatric facilities. Uh, in France, for example, uh, many of them are castles and former castles uh, that look like resorts where um, patients go to recover and be in a beautiful environment wow. overlooking Paris in ways that, uh, you know, only um, uh, people of another time would have had the luxury of doing. Uh, our state facilities are called snake pits, and rightly so, um, and are even worse than the times when, uh, when they were, when there was such a scandal about them that we essentially emptied them only to uh, bring all the patients out into the streets and then into jails and prisons so that they cannot get care. Um, so we are very brutal to those who are um, disadvantaged and um, just yeah. uh, unfortunate enough to be uh, to be poor or not of the right uh, color or of uh, a different ethnic background. Um, we simply do not treat the the weak and uh, the voiceless well. Um, Let's end on that sad but overwhelmingly true note. 
so that we have time yeah. for the next episode. Um, okay. thank, thank you, you Dr. So Lee. Much, Dr. Lee.